All right. We want to welcome all of our listeners and viewers to the 28th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with real operators and leaders in digital media. And we're really excited. Today, we've got Anna Milosevic from Sparrow Advisors. She is the principal and co-founder. So let's jump in and get to know Anna. Anna, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing really well. How are you? All right. Are you uh, hanging in there in the times of COVID-19? <laughs> it's our, our ever-present challenge, isn't it? Yeah, hanging on Zoom. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for our viewers and our listeners out there who aren't that familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your company, Sparrow Advisors. So we're a management consultancy that operates in the ad tech, martech, e-com, and adjacent spaces. And we're about five years old now. My partner and sister and I started it with the idea of uh, sharing our expertise uh, with companies large and small and making sure that folks in ad tech, martech, and adjacent industries can actually work with each other in better ways. What we saw was that there was a lot of talk about using data, using technology, getting really excited about all this new stuff that's been developed. But uh, companies were implementing all of that very differently and at various different levels of maturity. So we kind of quite selfishly set off to form the kind of consultancy that we wish we both had when we were in operating roles previously to starting Sparrow. And that's exactly what we did. So we're now... uh, global company. We have a small team based in Europe and a larger team that we pull in for different projects. And we work across the width of the entire ecosystem, both on the buy side, on the sell side, directly with brands, with investors, what have you. That's really cool. And before you started this amazing consultancy and advisory, like, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, Tell us where you're from and, and how you grew up. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to take you way back now. Way back. So, <laughs> not that far back. <laughs> yeah. So I was born in Yugoslavia, uh, which is a country that no longer exists. And uh, everything was fine <laughs> for, for quite a long time. And then things all of a sudden weren't very fine, which is very topical in, in times of Corona. But we had a, a really challenging decade in the 90s. And that's right around the time when I was supposed to be, you know, finishing high school, entering university and all those cool things. So my life path was a little bit accelerated (laughs) by a couple of different crises then. I was always a a huge uh, nerd. So I studied computer science in undergrad, and I wanted to go and build cool things. And then just as about uh, somewhere in my like, freshman to maybe sophomore year, I realized that I was really good, not just at the coding, but at the talking to people part of things as well. So I started my first company kind of stupidly at university and grew it to um, outsource software provider. I then kind of knew that my career path was never really going to be focused on one location. So I kind of shadow moved to the U.S., I worked for the UN for a couple of years, which uh, my family <laughs> really, really liked. Um, it, you know, when you're from a troubled region, you always uh, appreciate efforts of in large bodies like the United Nations, and yeah. I speak a bunch of different languages and whatnot. So, I got to work on innovative tech for UNICEF and work on really, really complex global campaigns and promotions that. In- 
included a variety of like superstar athletes and you know whoever's uh, normally involved in in those kinds of really really big global deals and that set me on a path that was now less about pure tech but more about audiences and i got fascinated by how you could tell the same story slightly differently and how it opens up a whole new world of possibilities for a slightly different group of people so that's kind of how I stumbled into advertising and marketing in general. And I spent a couple of years working in media and held senior leadership roles in companies that were innovating in the space. There's a couple of video startups. I also get to do the, hey, I put radio on the internet thing because I worked at, uh, on putting the radio on the internet, terrestrial radio mm-hmm. uh, as well. And uh, and that eventually led me to Demdex and the genesis of data management, where I was head of product there, followed that up by digging deeper into the MarTech side. And I led the digital analytics practice for media and entertainment for SaaS. Then I built a global strategic team for Signal and fast forward to Sparrow. So I've kind of always sat between technology, media, and audience in all of my roles. And without really knowing what that would make, I've always been a product person. So even before like product management and product as a concept was a thing, those are the kinds of roles that I kind of naturally gravitated towards. Very cool. Very, very cool. And, and you know, one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I always get to find out something interesting about someone who I've known in the space for a long time. And I would have never have known about your experience at the UN, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, it feels like it was so long ago, but, but I remember it very fondly. And it was one of those experiences that I'm so fortunate I had, especially relatively early on in my career, because, mm. you know, I was basically, I was really, really young when, when I got that opportunity. And it was, uh, you know, very few people who work for the UN actually get to start their careers there at headquarters in New York. Mm. And so I wasn't really, I, I don't think the, the full context of how huge that was hit me until <laughs> a few years later. Yeah. So it's a very, very interesting time in, in my career. Interesting, interesting. And what led to you and your sister sort of breaking off and starting your own company? Because, you know, like you said, you, you've held a number of different positions mainly in product in the ad tech, martech space. What made you sort of make that leap to go go do your own thing? Yeah, so for me, that was the second time to start my first company, to start a company. But mm-hmm. I had also been part of early teams at a couple of other companies as well. So I'm very, very familiar with the you know, zero to some level of sustainability path. And it's a path that I, I quite enjoy. And, um, you know, when Maya and I, we worked together at Demdex and then at Adobe. So we knew very early on that we could work together very well. And then we kind of went on, on our own separate career tracks, very consciously exploring very different parts of the industry. And, you know, Maya had some really, really strong successes. I mean, she was at AppNexus, you know, billion dollar exit and then at Sovereign. So we, we're looking for opportunities to do something together. And we kind of both very independently of one another got on this same track where we saw this huge gap 
in a company's understanding of where they realistically were and their ability to execute on the goals that they'd set out for themselves. And we, we thought, you know, hey, back when, you know, I was at so-and-so company, I wish there was like a 311 that you could call mm. so that somebody could literally kind of land an A-team at your door to help you, but with a specific problem. And that was just really wasn't available in our industry at the time. So, so we had that kind of aha moment and thought, hey, maybe we build that first. Mm-hmm. And then we had some ideas on how to build, how to be better about using high quality talent and how to make sure that, you know, really, really good talent gets more exposure to high quality projects and clients. And so that's kind of the plan B of what we're executing on now. But we're, we're really enjoying the consulting portion because there's just so many challenges to solve and you can start to see patterns in the industry that I think are really hard to spot if you're focusing or, or addressing them from the confines of just a single company. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a fair point. And I had that sort of same sort of realization when I, when I made the switch from moving from a publisher to moving to the, the tech vendor side where now I get to see uh, across the landscape. So that's, I, I agree with you on that comment. So staying on that. It's almost, it's almost like learning a, a foreign language, isn't it? Because yeah. it, it feels like you're kind of the same thing, but then there's so many intricacies once you move sides. That was really what we were reacting to because we saw a lot of really senior leaders who spent their entire careers just on one side of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And they were in, you know, in meetings where they literally did not understand what the other side was trying to negotiate for. And as a result, would you know, strike really strange deal terms and things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, very Good much point. so. Yeah. Yep. What do you love about our industry? I mean, you've been at it some time and again, have held multiple positions at different companies. What do you love most about our space? I love the innovation of it. We, we move so fast in ad tech compared to other industries. And I, I don't think that that's, again, when you're in the thick of it, you kind of start taking it for granted. And there's so many cool things that we've done on the technology side that the business side really hasn't caught up with it just yet. And so I'd like to fix that gap. And I'd like to make it all make sense for consumers so that we can have a a really, really healthy industry. I do a keynote, large conferences about a future without advertising, in which I basically make that pitch that unless we figure out how to talk to people who've grown up waiting for the skip ad button to show up on YouTube, we're not going to be around as an industry for very much longer. And, you know, I think that looking at other traditional industries, I believe that ad tech can transform because that's really what we've done consistently throughout our relatively short lifespan. But, but we've been very good about hitting that innovation button. So I think that's, that's the biggest draw for me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that about the, the skip ad button. You know, I have an 11-year-old daughter, as, as you know, and she is my use case sometimes about like what is cool and what the latest and greatest is. And, you know, there's only two times throughout the entire year when she actually likes commercials. And that is when Christmas is coming and when her birthday is coming. And that's, yeah. 
Outside of that, it's the skip button. <laughs> that, now, is it because she can kind of tell what you're getting for her? For her <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, her way so of that, it's so that she can get ideas together of what she oh. wants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I see. And I was thinking about your great experience, you know, across uh, several different companies, and, and you have a great perspective. You can have that perspective going through, you know, a, a lot of things, right? And I'm curious about your your thoughts on inclusivity and in the industry. You know, what are what are some great ways where the you know maybe the industry can be more inclusive, or what are, what have been your experiences there? That, that's a great question, and I, I don't know that there's an easy answer to this. You know, one of the things that's really attractive about advertising in general is that you don't have to come from a specific background to be successful in it, and there's no like you don't have to start studying in kindergarten to be or you can focus on something else you can acquire a set of skills later on in your career and and I think we're going to see more of that kind of re-specialization happening at later stages of, of people's careers and I think that's exciting but that said when you look at you know senior executive teams and company boards on every side of the ecosystem we're all looking very similar. <laughs> it's like the, the Brady Bunch Zoom, kind of, you know, mm. but not as many women as in the Brady Bunch. But it does get a little bit lonely. You know, when I, I think about my career, I've probably spent, barring the last five years, the majority of it in meetings where I was the only woman, whether it's my own senior executive team or if it's a partner's or, you know, you, you kind of go, Oh, hey, there's another one of us. How nice when, whenever you're not in that kind of extreme same scenario. So I think we've got quite a ways to go to be more inclusive uh, or at least have that in- inclusivity be reflected accordingly in uh, leadership teams across the board and especially at the board level. And the sooner we do that, the better, because we as an industry have an opportunity to reflect the consumer base, and we don't. And it's very, very hard. Any any good product person will tell you mm. that it's very hard to build product unless you understand who your product consumer, product user is going to be. And I worry that by not staying on growing talent from different sources and making sure that talent is is reflective of the world outside of Madison Avenue, that we're just going to not be as relevant as possible. You know, I recently rewatched Mad Men and <laughs> it just struck me how we feel like this is a very different industry, but, you know, gender-wise and, you know, race-wise, it might as well still be the era of Mad Men in, in many, many places. And that's just really, really jarring to me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you, you bring that up. We were at a conference together earlier this year. I won't say which conference it was, but I had multiple people come up to me and say, you know, with all this talk of diversity and inclusion in the space, look at the turnout, look at the people here that are at this event. And it's the same old sort of makeup of crowd that you're referring to. Yeah. yeah. Great point. It was really the impetus too for Corel and I to start this, right? You know, was we would at times look at each other and 
sort of give each other the eyes, you know what I mean? And look at each other and just kind of say, hey, you know, isn't, isn't this interesting, you know? It's, it's, it's fascinating, you know, to sort of examine with time and with experience. Yeah, I'm very committed to making it better. I, I think, you know, we've approached building Sparrow in a very different way. But I, I think that one thing that we've noticed is that just about every company has exceptional level talent that has very diverse backgrounds, very diverse points, but they all seem to be stuck at the, you know, director, senior director level, VP level. And then yeah, it kind yeah. of dries up mm-hmm. uh, and it becomes much rarer at the SVP, EVP, C level. And it, it's really interesting because companies will tout uh, a lot of their initiatives about you know how good they are about growing talent and promoting, but we see a huge gap between you know really really stupendous talent at that like senior director VP level whose only path to a more senior role is if they leave the company that they're at, and and that's just you know a waste of everybody's time and resources, honestly. Yep. You know, uh, thank you. Great insights, and uh, you know it's interesting. Uh, especially today, you know, we're all at home right now doing this, you know? And so a lot of times we, we, we think about how busy our days are and, you know, coming home and trying to figure out, you know, a, a work-life balance. But right now we're all at home, you know? So how, how, how do you sort of manage, you know, sort of the work-life balance? Is there such a thing? And maybe there isn't. What have been your experiences? I'd start off by saying probably very poorly. <laughs> I think, you know, for, for us, we're a, a very location agnostic company. So we've never had a big in-off presence and this was very intentional and kind of by design. So, you know, our day-to-day hasn't changed that much other than we're grounded. And so I think we're going on six weeks now and this is probably the longest that I've been in the same place in... 10 years easily. <laughs> I don't think I've ever strung together six weeks of like not flying and not, not being in at least like a you know, day-long meeting. So that's really, really uh, odd. I think, you know, understanding when your workday ends and kind of flipping that switch to, okay, this is now me time, family time, or, or you know, just like, chill time is is really critical. I've been very bad at it for the last couple of weeks, mostly because, you know, we we have to kind of make sure that all of our clients have good advice and know what to do next. And, you know, some of our clients are in time zones that make it impossible to have like a regular nine to five or something along those lines. But in general, that's been my trick has always been to like have a little ritual almost that like puts an end to your workday like do a little dance or something like that. It can be something really silly cool. and trivial that kind of gives you that, that mental marker and kind of like, okay, I'm now done with this part of, of, of my move on to something else. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, what, where do you draw inspiration from? Ooh. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was that was that in my head or was that yeah yeah no, no. 
Yeah. I'm a, a big fan of street art and uh, an occasional collector. And so I try to stay as close to the art world as possible. And it energizes me with ideas and different perspectives. And I've always been the kind of person who likes the in-between of things. So, you know, where to two disciplines kind of connect or intersect is, is where I find most of my inspiration. So uh, that's, most of it is an art. I really like high-tech, cool, nerdy tech development stuff. So I've recently gotten really into drones, which is not mm. the hobby that you want to have if you're supposed to stay indoors a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think I Your like... Deep, deep dive on the manual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your theoretical knowledge. Of- <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if anyone wants to see some really cool street art, they can follow Anna on uh, Instagram. Her right. Instagram account is full of wonderful street art photos. Um, thank you. Yes, that's my little drive-by gallery. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, another kind of fun question I have for you, which has to do with, you know, going back to your day to day and your phone, give us three apps on your phone that you regularly use, but it can't be, you can't name email and you can't name calendar. Are there other apps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom counts? Uh, let's see. So, I mean, obviously, like things like, you know, WhatsApp, Skype, and all of those, like I, I find that for different kinds of communication, I'd use a different communication tool. So mm-hmm. like for family, we're all on Viber and Skype and like WhatsApp is like my main go-to communication app. And so there's a cascading effect there. But um, let's see. Uh, we're going to do a live scan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> My yeah. apps. Oh, yeah. so um, I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's my Delta app. I missed oh, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that Delta app's like, oh, that, you see, forgot me. <laughs> if, if, we, if we talked, if we had this down like, you know, more than six weeks ago, that right. would probably <laughs> been my answer. But so I, uh, I play guitar, not very well, but I like playing guitar. So I got the Fender app that, yeah, it's really nice. So it lets you learn new playing styles and it like dissects different songs. So I am somewhere in the middle of the folk track on the app right now. It's really, really really well done. It's just such a really deliciously made app. So my favorite app of all time, and I'm a huge fan of public libraries and libraries in general. So did you guys know that you can read almost everything that your library has to offer on your phone through the magic of an app called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y? You connect your library card to it, and it opens up every audiobook and every digital book that they have, and it's literally two taps, and it's on your phone. And it is one of the most wonderfully designed apps out there it's just a joy cool. wow with all due respect to every guest we've had on the last couple of years that may be one of the best app recommendations yeah that's cool that's <laughs> it, it's it's so good please guys download it right away it's just <laughs> it's it's so transformative like it, it'll it'll make i mean it's not like it's very hard to use the library in general but it just yeah. makes it so much easier and cooler Downloading it right now. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Well, while he does that, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. 
thanks for hanging with us and, and sharing your insights and perspective. Uh, a lot of times our viewers and our listeners like to connect and, and sort of keep, continue the discussion. Where can they find you? And make sure you mention your IG. Sure. Yeah. So, so I'm going to make it really easy. So I have the same handle on Twitter where I sometimes uh, live or it seems like I live there <laughs> and on Instagram and the content's very different on those two accounts. So it's AEXM. So yeah, follow me there. And uh, you know you can always check out our website. It's sparrowadvisors.com or you can shoot me an email to Anna at hellosparrow.com. Excellent. Well, thanks for hanging. And uh, thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. You can find us uh, wherever you find most of your video and visual sort of content, and also find all your audio content. Thanks.